tangents. Exploring the spaces where life and truth intersect. Is that going to be a... I don't know. Okay. Tell us, listeners, can you hear that in the background right now? That the sound of the air conditioning running because it is currently 83 degrees outside. Is it really? It is. Wow. It is currently 83 degrees at 12.58. That means it's going to get like 85 or 87. Which is why I brought you your air conditioner. <laughs> Yay. Thank you. And we're getting a new one maybe on Saturday. Um, so anyway. Okay. Wait, an air conditioner? I thought you were getting your we're air conditioner. We're getting it fixed. Okay, good. But it's a, it's still new. I mean, everything's getting replaced. Gotcha. I'm with you. Uh-huh. So anyway, all right. Hi, I'm Josh Hawkins. I'm Michelle King. And this is the Random Tangents Podcast. Yay. We are so excited that you are with us. We have no idea what we're <laughs> going to talk about. We keep saying that. Well, you know, because, you know, sometimes we think about it ahead of time and we've actually been bandying about different mm-hmm. uh, uh, possible topics, but we don't feel equipped today on the day of our recording to have those particular conversations. Yes, we've both been mighty busy, so we haven't had time to research and educate ourselves better. Right, right. So, but I am, I'm kind of thinking about the, although didn't, wasn't our first podcast about fear? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we need to revisit. Okay. <laughs> well, just because we, prior to us starting recording, you know, we were having this conversation and it's, it's come up a couple times of not, um, not fear itself, but fear as motivator and fear as a reason for doing something. Something. Yeah. Which in the natural Having a fear of, okay, I need to change my eating habits because I could die if I don't. Right. That can be a good motivator. But see, and which is why we see like when someone has a heart attack or a stroke or something and that, you know, a lot of times they'll say, well, now I, you know, and that, and that is when they actually change their eating habits or they start exercising or whatever. Right. Because I almost died. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that would be fear as a motivator. And a lot of times that is enough right. to change someone's life, you know, long term. And sometimes it isn't. I know I have used <clears throat> guilt, manipulation, um, fear, every which way but Sunday for my husband who currently has type 2 diabetes to change and he goes, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. And he hasn't. Right. And, you know, I mean, I say that as a joke, but I have said, you know, you don't want to be in a place where you can't keep up with your kids or your grandkids. And, you know, it's truth. But there's probably a little bit of fear because I'm trying to motivate him to do something different. I mean, I can only do it so far. I have to work through my own stuff. Yep. And to... He's got to want to make that change. And right. I think that's with anything. I think that's with um, a relationship with God. I think it's within our own careers, our families, our, our mindset, our bodies. It's everything that that has to come within. And well, motivation is a multi million dollar industry, you know, right now. That's so true. Of um, learning how to motivate people, learning how to motivate yourself. Mm-hmm. What does it look like? Because we're always, we all recognize that there are areas in our lives that need to change. Um, but change is difficult. It is. Uh, change is, change is hard. You know, like I, I see a lot of, of advertisements for different weight loss plans. Like until you know the reason that you're eating too much, you'll never right. be able to stop eating so much. Right. And so this is based on psychology, that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, trying to get people to try their method of whatever. And maybe they work, maybe they don't. I don't know. I haven't tried any of that. But as a pastor, motivating people is uh, one of the things that that haunts me. Mm -hmm. 
um, because I do not want to be, I, I, well, let me say it this way. I am sick of being the guy that's constantly saying, come to my thing, do this thing, be involved with that thing, read your Bible, <laughs> pray, like of being like the cheerleader for your relationship with Jesus. Right. I don't want to do that. I have no desire to do that whatsoever. Part of me wants to say, if you don't want to do this and be here, just go away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's not a great model to build a church on, I suppose. <laughs> but there is a big part of me that would love to just get on a mic on Sunday and be like, look. <laughs> Poop or get off the pot. Exactly. You, the, the, our, do you, are you serious or not? And I, we may, I may do that. I mean, I, uh, at you some have point. said in the past, to the over the past five years, a couple of that's true close things <laughs> to that. <laughs> but like, I oh. feel like that's true. And I, you know, I I was reading recently about um, there's the cost of discipleship. There's a book written by oh man, he was he was a pastor in Germany. Uh, leading up to World War II, and he wrote a book called The Cost of Deception, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Okay. Which is a wonderful Christian classic. Awesome. It'll challenge you to your gills. Man. Um, so tell us the name of that and the guy again. The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I okay. would recommend it to anyone. Okay. Uh, but I'm going to warn you, it's going to hurt. You're going to want to throw it across the room and yeah, be angry at it? multiple times. Um uh, it's just one of those books, but that's why it's a classic because it's challenging. Um, but I was, I had been, I've been contemplating the call of God now, not, and by that, I don't mean, um, the call to full-time ministry, mm-hmm. although that's definitely a call. Right. But there's many, many calls, infinite amount of calls on someone's life that God has, called before they were even born in my opinion is that wrong no to think no that? that's absolutely right okay. um the 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 call the new testament talks about is the call to discipleship okay it's the call to being a follower of jesus mm-hmm. um the bible never refers to full-time ministry as a calling like that so there's a lot of scriptures we read that it says like Walk worthy of that which for which you have been called, or the upward call of Christ Jesus, and we autom- and we think, oh well, that's about being a pastor or an evangelist, or you know, or pick up your cross, right? But that's but I mean that uses that word specifically, call, call. But yeah. always, every time that word is used, it's the call to being a disciple of Jesus, and it's not about full-time ministry or any of that. At least in my faith tradition, when somebody talked about being called, they always meant to vocational ministry. Right, right, right. And so a lot of times I would read those verses and it would always, that that's kind of the category I would put that verse in in my head. But that's not how it operates. And that's, that's not what it's talking about in the New Testament. And so I've been kind of plumbing the depths of that idea. What does this mean? And what is God really calling us to? And his call is to all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and But what are those things? And I preached a couple messages around it on Sundays, but the the one that I got, that, I'm, that I smacked into recently was this, there's this place where, there's a place in Matthew and a place in John. Most people don't think that it's describing the same thing, the same moment in Jesus' ministry, but it's the same tone. Where Jesus, in Matthew it says, Large crowds have begun to follow Jesus. Okay. And they're walking from one place to another. And basically Jesus turns around to this large crowd and says, by the way, if you want to follow me, (laughs) you have to hate your family. You have to hate your children. You have to hate your own life. You have to pick up your cross and follow me. (laughs) Right? That seems... (laughs) A little drastic. <laughs> I mean, I know those words. I know what it. that says. And, and you're I, like, and I'm reading that going, this doesn't feel like, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
three quick steps to church growth from Jesus, right? Like, just tell everyone to hate their families. Hate their family. Hate leave themselves. the dead. Hate themselves. Pick up instruments of torture and... And, and follow him. <laughs> Sounds so pleasant. And yet, Jesus is saying that. Well, then the echo of that in John is in John chapter 6. And it's it's... To me, I think it is describing the same moment because John chapter 6 is immediately following the feeding of the 5,000 or maybe he's just fed the 5,000 in John chapter 6. And and there's all these people kind of chasing him around. And he looks at them and he says to them, if you want to follow me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Right. And we know that technically that's not what we're supposed to do. <laughs> Well, that would be cannibalism, children, and is frowned upon in most well, countries. Well, that, uh, exactly. Most societies, Charlie well, and the Chocolate Factory. And Factor. even more so in the Jewish culture. Okay, mm-hmm. This is a culture that they don't eat pigs or lobster. Right, but you're supposed to eat the flesh of your Savior and drink <laughs> exactly. his blood. Yeah. So like eat lobster. <laughs> eating icky things is it's not cool uh, with the Jewish folks, right? That's and he's talking funny. to all Jewish people. <laughs> And now he's like, oh, by the way, to follow me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Right. And they're all like, what now? <laughs> yeah. Excuse me? Excuse me, baking soda? Uh, but the reason I think it's the same moment is because is because of what follows after that, where he, where he kind of explains it. Because cause some of the people standing there are like, well, this is a hard teaching. Right. <laughs> and Jesus says, well, that my flesh... And, he contrasts following him with following Moses. And he says, well, Moses gave you bread in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And everybody that ate that bread died later. Mm-hmm. But I tell you that my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. And everyone that eats and drinks of me will never will never die. And so he's calling them not to cannibalism, but to leave behind the old covenant mm-hmm. and to step into a new covenant that's based around Jesus which is the same thing. Of course, I also began to notice by when Jesus tells them, if you want to be my disciple, you have to hate your family, you have to hate whatever. Right, you have so to what does life. that mean? Put that well, in the context. the thing is, the people he was talking to, if they continued to follow him, they probably would have been martyred. They mm-hmm. definitely would have been um, persecuted. He was hated in his he home, probably home, would, hometown. They probably would have been, if they had family members that refused to follow Jesus, they would have disowned them completely. So Jesus was just accurately describing the results of, in the world, of mm-hmm. following him in that day, in that time. He was just being honest. Here's the deal, guys. If you keep following me, this is what's going to happen. You need to know that. Right? That's Does that hard. make sense? Well, yeah. That's super hard. But it's the truth. Right. And and I also feel like we're judged. The opposite. Like, if you have family that does hate you, they don't stop and think, well, maybe it's because they're taking a stand for Christianity and that family is not appreciating that. It's always the judge, almost always, unless someone is truly really listening to the Lord on this, they almost, well, what are you doing wrong that's causing your family to not like you? Right. Does that make sense? No, it does. It does. But the reality is that the situation you and I are in, Michelle, is very, very rare in the history of Christianity. Those things have been reality for the majority of Christians down through the years in multiple different cultures, and they are still today in places all over the world where Choosing to follow Jesus means that I am choosing to leave my family behind. Choosing to follow Jesus means I am will probably be killed. I will very likely be killed. For, so does that come from a an, a an American culture? Well, we read it change? and we're like, wow, you know, because we don't experience that kind of thing in our culture. But every other culture would just nod their heads and say, yeah, that's about what it costs. Not every other culture, but a lot of other cultures would have said that, especially in in the history of the church. Although there are more martyrs being, more people being martyred for Christ now than there have ever been in the history of the church. So, mm-hmm. um, 
the um, so they read that stuff and they're like yeah that's exactly what it cost the question is we have to go back and say all right <laughs> so i'm not in a culture that would you know that wouldn't happen to me right because i'm in a culture of, that is free to worship and 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 whatever but what is the cost of being a disciple of christ in my culture because there's mm. still going to be a cost it's not going to be that particular cost, maybe, but it's no, the cost. No, it's going to look way. different. But because the next thing Jesus says after he says, this is what's going to happen, he said that he gives two parables. The first one is if you were going to build a tower, you would tally up the cost of that tower before you ever started building it because you don't want to start building it and then get mm -hmm. halfway through and. Everybody would laugh at you because, oops, yeah. you didn't know you, you know. And, and then he talks about a king who's going to go to war, and he always has to find out. He has to kind of, you know, check what, what state is the army in? You know, how much money do we have in the treasury? Can we afford to fight this war? And Jesus is like, so you need to count the cost before you decide to follow me. Mm. And that's something I don't think we do. No, we definitely don't. And how often is that involved? How often do we say that in, evangel in we don't. evangelistic messages? We don't. Hey, by the way, it's going to cost you everything to follow Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> we want to just, we want to say, hey, it's just all great. It's all good. Just come on in. It's and all like, flowers and love. Yeah, you know, and, but we you're never going say. To, you're not going to go to hell, and it's all going to be flowers and love, and in the end, <laughs> we win, but it's all going to be good. So it's almost the opposite. <laughs> like, we, we have used for, for a long time especially in the United States. The United States has a history of hellfire and brimstone preaching. Mm -hmm. um, it's really shaped our religious culture mm -hmm. in this nation uh, in a big way. Um, revivalism has really shaped, and that, that's, that's kind of the name for that idea, for that way of preaching the gospel is revivalism. Um, you know, and we, you know, people would rant and rave about the fires of hell and blah, 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 and Jesus is how you escape the fires of hell. But we don't ever talk about the fires of discipleship. Good point. We don't get up and say. That's <laughs> and our title, the fires, the fires of, of, of discipleship. discipleship. Um, but we don't we ever get up and say, what I'm calling you to do is leave behind the life that you're living now and, and accept a new life. Mm -hmm. um, a new life that's going to, it is going to cost you. Everything that you have now is going to change. Mm -hmm. If you're really going to follow Christ, you cannot be the person you are now. And that doesn't mean that I'm not talking about works righteousness here. I'm just talking about becoming a person whose whole life is dedicated to Jesus. Right. And the reality is when I'm following Jesus, often this happens to me all the time, folks. I will state a Christ opinion on Facebook and it is Christians who are seeking to martyr me. It is the church that comes after me. Mm -hmm. My favorite one, the one that always will stir up trouble every single time, is if I start talking about love your enemy. Oh, yeah. Every time. It doesn't matter. All I, all I would have to do is put those three words on a, in a Facebook post. And I guarantee you, 48 hours from now, there's going to be 150 comments on that, on love your enemy. Because we don't want to hear it. Mm -mm. Our culture doesn't want to hear it. Mm -mm. And the church doesn't want to hear it. We like our enemies. We like our enemies as our enemies. Right. We want to keep them as our enemies. And we don't want to hear that Jesus taught us we had to love our enemies. Right. Um, and sometimes then they twist it in their loving quotes. You can't see my air quotes. They say, well, I am loving my enemy by telling them how wrong they are. Right. <laughs> by throwing it's tough love it is it's the tough love that's a good point throwing the scriptures in their face by telling them how wrong they are about everything and that they need to see the light and that what that person is telling them is the truth and they need to you know yeah basically like you said yeah um by religious tough them love and making the, making them feel horrible about themselves and mm -hmm. and um telling them they're going to hell that's me that's how i love people mm-hmm Right. <laughs> I don't think the people that you're trying to quote unquote love feel loved. Feel loved. I just don't think that's true. I yes. But that's a whole nother conversation. I mean, well, no, I guess that is this conversation, right? right? So we're supposed to be disciples and we're supposed to be discipling others. Yeah. 
and a part of that is there are there's the fires in 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 being a disciple as well as discipling others absolutely and they need to know it and we need to know it and we need to get out of this comfortable mentality mm-hmm. my opinion this mm-hmm. comfortable mentality and and maybe it's a, a western american well we definitely enjoy our comfort we do and you know something that was kind of in the process of it it's a little it's a little bit of a tangent but i'm allowed cuz this is the this random is the tangent random tangents yes. podcast so tangents are allowed tangents are allowed um i was thinking about this the other day in the sense of well Brian and I's life has always been a, <laughs> we have forged our own path. Not, we have not forged our own path. You have no idea, folks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but God has said, this is the path I'm wanting you right. to, to go down. And sure. because we listened, then we forged new paths. Mm-hmm. We have not done anything, and I can truly say that, anything the American um, or safe, or normal, or common way, and that you know that inc- that includes our kids. That includes what he calls us to do. Um, uh, it includes our finances. I mean, he has had us stepped out, and you and I have had these conversations. I've, we've stepped out in faith, both of us believing one hundred percent this is what we know that God's called us to do, and from the outward appearance. We made a super stupid mistake, and mm-hmm. people judged us for it right. significantly. Now we've looked on the backside of that, and um, we see that's how God did that that way. And if you go through the Bible, you'll see that all over the place. And I used to feel defensive of the the place that God had had us, you know, and like, well, God told me to is kind of what I wanted to say, you know, blame Him. You know, then people say, well, you didn't hear God. Literally, it's been said. Yeah. And, um, you know, all, all the various things that have, have happened. But I feel like as our world is changing again, and we definitely have seen a significant uptick switch, whatever, over the past year and a half, couple years of of things and and what God is doing what's happening in the world and and it's definitely like it's gone up a few notches um the financial part of it is kind of what I'm addressing because it's that safety that we feel okay so yeah there are scriptures that say um you know the animals don't know but they prepare and in the Old Testament, Joseph prepared for the famine. But that was a specific instance and a specific thing in time that God had him do. Um, but it also says to not worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, and do all that, which is kind of a contradictory type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I read something, maybe, I think it was in stuff I was reading about Elijah. I can't remember. But the, well, first of all, the, the whole prosperity thing. I'm not saying that God doesn't prosper people because I absolutely do, absolutely do believe that. Um, I also believe that he has gifts and things for us um, internally as well as externally that he want, he wants to give us. Absolutely. And in the words of Joyce Meyer, I'd rather ask for all of it and get half of it <laughs> than to ask for none of it and get all of the nothing. Right. Sure. <laughs> you know, whatever you have for me, God, I want. Internal, mm-hmm. external, you know, you want to bless me, I'm great with that. I'm not all about the prosperity that I'm going to, you know, I've decided I need a red Lamborghini and I'm going to pray for it until I get it. You know, I, I'm not about that. Um, I'm not saying that God could not call a specific person to do that and say, hey, I want you to da 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 da. But the whole. I feel like he's called me to pray for a red Lamborghini. I don't think he has. I really do. No, I think no. That's true. No. If you would like to give towards <laughs> my. <laughs> we were getting entirely too serious. We had to stop that. Yeah, yeah. If you would like to give towards Josh's red Lamborghini. <laughs> With all the children starving to death in Ethiopia. But go right ahead. Yes. <laughs> You'll bring it to the food pantry. I would. I'm dead serious. If you want to give to my red Lamborghini fund. 
go right ahead and I'll just give all the money to the food pantry here at the church. Okay. Oh, I thought you meant you would get the, <laughs> Lamborghini, the, red, the Lamborghini and drive it to the food pantry. <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> Sorry, guys, we ran out of food. We, yeah. But uh, if you want to wax my Lambo over there. That's right. I'll give you 10 bucks. You can go get McDonald's. Lord. But the whole idea of the finances part is that we want to be safe. Yeah. And I don't believe that God has called us to be safe. I think there is wisdom in saving. Of course. But there's also times that God says, take everything that you have and give it. Right. You know, if we're if we're not a missionary in Zimbabwe, and God, we, we're okay with if God says, I want you to sell the children, sell the house, sell everything you own, and sell move. Sell the children? Okay, whatever. <laughs> They're expensive. <laughs> you heard it here first on the Random Tangents podcast. Sell your children. I always say that as the shock factor. But sell everything and move to Zimbabwe and be a missionary. We, we literally have no problem with that. You don't have a 401k in Zimbabwe. You don't have... You know, your gold bricks, you don't have right. any of that. Maybe. But a lot of times people, you know, they sell everything. Mother right. Teresa sell, sold everything. Yeah. Didn't have anything. Yeah. Um, but if God tells us here in the land of plenty mm. to take what he has given us and put it in a different way and we aren't doing the Dave Ramsey thing, yeah, then we're not being good stewards. I think being a good steward is doing what God tells us to do. Being a good steward is what we've been called to do. Mm-hmm. Because nothing's actually ours. Nothing. None and of that, it. Well, and the truth is that safety is an illusion. That's my point, is the safety of it. Yeah. God may call somebody to have lots of money in the bank and have property and have this, that, and the other. And it's not a, a downgrade on anybody who has that. Right. But if that is your safety, yeah, that's wrong. Yeah, our safety is not in the things that we have or, you know, not in horses and chariots, That's right. you know, but in our God. Right. And so if he calls us to do something crazy, hey, Abraham. Yes. Take hey, all Noah. your stuff and just go over there. Uh, where am I going, God? Not going to tell you. Not going to tell you. <laughs> just, just go. Start walking, Abe. Exactly. You know, and, 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 and he's the father of the faith because of it. Right. You know, here's a man married for probably 50, 60 years to a woman and they've never had a child. Right. Right. You should assume that he's never going to have a child at this point. She is beyond childbearing years. And yet when God calls him outside the tent, points his eyes at the stars and says, so shall your offspring be. The Bible says he believed God and it was credited to him as, as righteousness. Yeah. And the apostle Paul says he didn't stagger at the fact that this was not possible by normal means mm-hmm. he believed that god was capable of doing things that even he didn't understand and but see at this point he had already uprooted his life and moved it to a foreign land and et cetera, et cetera. Had seen god win many victories at this point but now god's promising him i'm going to make your offspring like the stars right. he has no idea how that's going to happen when he has a wife who can't bear children to him but does he stagger when he decides to try to figure it out on his own well, and ends up Sarah's with Ishmael. idea, not Abraham's. He I, did not have a gun held to his head when he did I'm the sorry. deed. I'm not trying to blame Sarah, <laughs> but it was her idea. It was her idea. It was. All the way back to Adam and Eve. It was Eve's fault. It was her It was her idea, and I don't know many men who, if, if your wife said, go sleep with this 20-year-old. It's obviously God's will that you have sex with this 20-year-old woman. That would be a very hard thing to say no to. <laughs> Especially when you're Especially when it was 90 allowed. years old. Yeah. <laughs> was she 20? Oh, we don't know how old she was. Okay. But we assume she was Younger young. Younger in childbearing yeah, because years. she was in childbearing years. <laughs> that is like completely a visual I did not need to have in all of that. Oh, I always think about. But because, if he because, was a real man of faith, he would have been able to say no. Because later on, oh, Abraham gosh. and Sarah get pregnant by normal means. Right. 
they were really old. Right. <laughs> that's, you know, that's just not. That's the not Bible a visual is either. at least PG-13. <laughs> at <laughs> if least. Not, if not. It's R in many oh, ways. In so many ways. Okay. I mean, we just talked last week about how Paul cusses in the middle of the Bible. Exactly. So, I mean, what are we going to do? we got to slap our rating on that puppy. That's right. All right. Now's the pun of the day. Are we at a time frame? Oh, sure, sure. Let's do that. Yeah, indeed. Okay, so. uh, I laughed out loud when I I went on this one. I truly did. (laughs) Ready? Uh I decided that I want to be cremated. Okay. It's my last hope for having a smoking hot body. Chase. Oh. <laughs> it's so terrible. Are you crying over know, there? It's so funny. It makes me laugh so hard. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. He's crying. He's laughing so hard. <laughs> Oh, well, we will make sure that you are cremated. <laughs> oh, you are so weird. <laughs> okay. Sorry. All folks. right. <laughs> Back to your regularly scheduled program. I can't even say that regularly. Okay. So. All that to say. <laughs> no, the, I mean, absolutely. I agree. And so. This is this is where I'm at. That fear cannot be a motivator for a follower of Christ. He is alive. It can't be. It can't be a motivator. It cannot be a motivator for a follower of Christ. You know, the Bible says He has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. He's not given a spirit of fear, but God has put a a natural body response of fear. So I don't know that I 100% agree that fear cannot be a motivator, but maybe you need to qualify it in the sense of being a Christ follower, fo- follower a Christ follower. A Christ follower. <laughs> that Dale Burt? A Christ follower. <laughs> That's how my grandfather would call out my name on the golf course. What would he say? <laughs> he, that's, he pronounced my, my name Jaishwa. He's still to this day. Why? If I see him, Jaishi. I don't know. It's just his That's accent. So funny. I guess. But but he would get mad at me when we would play golf together, and he would. <laughs> then at my wedding, he decided to get on the microphone and go, "This is for you, Jaishi." Oh my <laughs> anyway. goodness, he is so funny. Oh, you gotta love him. Hey, uh, Delbert, I love you. I'm so glad you're my grandpa. Anyway, I hope I can meet Delbert one day. You really need to. I do. You do. I can't believe you haven't met him. Yet. I know. I don't know how I haven't met him. He doesn't come around here very often. No, you guys usually go there. Yeah, but and it'll probably be less and less because now you know. Right. He's much older. So, um, but anyway, so. So you're qualifying it in we? the sense of well, I don't fear. Know that I want to qualify it. I, I, okay. Okay. Do I? Do we take concern for our physical being? Yeah, obviously, obviously we do, but. I don't count that as the same thing. When I say it, we don't, I don't think fear can be a motivator. Um, what I what I mean by that is, we shouldn't be using fear to control others, mm, and fear amen. should not be what informs our decision making. Good wisdom, right. wisdom informs our decision making, right. certainly, <clears throat> but but not fear. And so when we are putting our hope in a financial market, in a bank account, in a number on an IRA. When we are putting our hope in any of those places and feeling safe because we have, you know, those things, mm-hmm. that's idolatry. Right. That's exactly what it is. It's the worship of mammon. Right. Okay. And that, and Jesus made it really clear. You can't love both God and money. That's, yeah. You can't do it. And money... Money is the root of all kinds of evil. With that's just, or the love of money, I should say, yes. is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is just a tool, but when anything like that becomes the ultimate <coughs> good, when anything like that becomes the thing that we work for, mm-hmm. then we've it has it has become an idol. 
It has become something we worship. And someone could argue and say, well, I don't. I, I, I work in order to be able to give. However. Okay. And that's good. But however, look at the back story or the side part of it. However, I do have this over here and I do have this over here and I have this safety net and I have this safety net and I have this safety net. Right. And I don't even think that the safety nets are, they're not, I mean, that's fine. Put money in a savings account. Great. Right. You know, as, but if that's where our hope is. Right. I look at, okay, that's what I'm let's, we spoke about my grandfather. Yeah. Very successful insurance guy. Mm-hmm. M- um, multiple insurance agencies over three states. At one point, built an insurance company it, itself, you know, with a couple of partners. He's had, he has always had a lot of money. He's always had multiple businesses that he's running and things that he's doing, etc. At no point were any of those things his safety, his what his life was about. Mm-hmm. He was always investing in the kingdom, always taking that resource that God put in his life. He just happened to be a brilliant businessman. And so everything he touched would flourish. And mm-hmm. I believe that was the blessing of God. Right. Oh, but absolutely. All of that turned around. <laughs> all of that all of that blessing was then turned around and invested back in the kingdom, back in his church at home, back in all the different missionaries and things that he would, that he would fund. He sent me on missions trips more than once where he would just call me and say, how much more money do you have to raise? And he would just write a check. Right. You know, um, cause that's just, he was ridiculously generous all the time with, with, but his when it hope came was to the not kingdom in God. that. His hope was not in his money or his success. His hope was in Christ. But I feel like Americans specifically, because that's where I live and that's that what I hear, because of the current climate of things, whether you uh, supported Trump or you supported Biden or whatever the situation is, things are tumultuous. Mm-hmm. And people put their hope in the economy, people put their hope in a president. They pe- people are putting their hope based out of fear right. in certain things. And I'm I'm feeling so strongly that we got to get out of that. You yeah. you, you got to not listen to the market. You've got to not listen to and follow a president. You've got to not listen and follow those things if you are a believer mm-hmm. if you are someone who who is a follower who is a who is a fiery disciple of jesus <laughs> you know yeah. i i think it was it was okay back in the day and then through the years and through times and how things are getting you can't do that anymore you've got to put you've got to be hearing you've got to be listening right. See, I would challenge that statement. It was not okay. okay. It's never been okay. It was acceptable. Maybe, maybe that's what I'm saying. Sure, it maybe was it more was acceptable. That's what was I'm def- saying. But um, I'm but not saying it was. It's okay, never though. been okay, and it's even though you know it, it might have been the norm or even the what you were encouraged to do. Mm-hmm. It's never been okay, not for the people of God, mm-hmm. not for those whose hope and trust are in the Lord and only the Lord. That is all, that is where it should always be. And so we, we need to be walking in obedience to what the Holy Spirit leads us to do. And if that includes having a lot of money in a savings account or in, or in one of these other things, great. The question is, are you doing what God called you to do? Because the Bible is full of wealthy people who were followers of Jesus. Abraham is one of those. Yep. Okay, he had a he was wealthy, and God made him more wealthy over time. Mm-hmm. He was greatly blessed. That's something that happens, but there's always it's the the question is what is, what is the mark of your life? Mm-hmm. And for Abraham, it was always obedience. Now, if that results in having that's, all of those things, that's what I'm thinking. Great. Yes. If it doesn't, then it doesn't. That's not the point. Is a part of being a disciple obedience? That's what being a disciple means. That's to be a disciple just literally means to obey the one who you are following. Right. I feel like that's gotten skewed a little bit. 
Oh, maybe. But it, I think there's such <clears throat> a radical difference, and that's why I even use that language now. Rather than calling people Christians, I ask if they're disciples of Jesus Christ because yeah. there's a whole lot of people that would name the name Christian. Right. But they aren't following Jesus. Mm-hmm. They aren't recognizing that Jesus has called us into his way. You know, that's what Christianity was called before it was called Christianity. They called it the way. It is the way. <laughs> Sorry. Total Mandalorian. This tangent. is the way. This is the way. This is the way. He is the way. And But that's what he said. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that's what this is. Are you in and the way? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. In the way of what? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I like that, though. I kind of like that. I do, too. And there have been, unfortunately, there have been Christian denominations that were a little sketchy that called themselves the way um, but oh, uh, in, in the past. Um, so a lot of people would be averse to using that that moniker today but i don't like the word christian either Mm -hmm. because it has a whole other meaning in our culture now it's not that christian is a bad word but it has become a no it's freighted it's got a lot of baggage yes yeah which is and that's why i just don't like to use it right because if you ask somebody are you a christian a lot of people would say yes to that that have no intention of allowing Jesus to tell them anything about the way they should live their lives. Right. Right. You know, I mean, uh, <clears throat> so. Does Christian, Christian means little Christ, right? Yeah. That sounds like a rapper. <laughs> little Christ. <laughs> little, little Wayne. But. <laughs> there has to have been. A Christian rapper at some point in history that came, that took on that name, Lil Christ. Uh, there has that, to that has to have happened. I'll let you research and that. I, <laughs> Bring I that up in a random. To, I don't want to. Research you don't want to know the the world of Christian rap. I I don't I don't want to have anything to do with it. Um, the world of Christian <laughs> rap. Oh, you and your music snobbery. I am a big snob. You are uh, when it comes to music. And I'm not really a fan of rap, so that's the thing. That's the thing. Yeah, I'm not. Really I've either. heard rap that I'm like, wow, that's really good. Like, but right. I'm not. I don't know rappers. I don't know. I don't get know, into that genre. I'm not. It's not my favorite kind of music. Yeah, I feel like I feel like, and I feel like the spoken word, whether it's secular or Christian or whatever you want to say, the spoken word kind of has some feel to that. Mm-hmm. It's like a poem with a rapish feel yeah well like i loved amanda gorman at the at yes. the uh, the what's it called the inauguration the inauguration yes Man, i love her she's powerful awesome. yes and i've listened to a bunch of her stuff since then and i'm just like oh you're amazing i love you yes but i still have a hard time really getting into it I, but that I love was a very words. spoken word kind of a thing it was yes absolutely it. it was like a poem yeah with a a rap-ish type of feel, a cadence. Yeah, definitely you know. had a rhythm to it. Mm-hmm. Not all poetry Oops. does, but this definitely Sorry. did. My microphone. Okay, I, I want to go to... it's time for random facts. It is. Michelle's... Michelle's moment. Competitive art used to be in the Olympics. Did you know that? I did not know that. Between 1912 and 1948, the Olympic Games awarded medals in sculpture, music, painting, and architecture. After a heated debate because that's so important. In the post-war years, the competitions were scrapped. And, yeah, 50 absurd facts that sound made up. Okay, so wait, I might so have they to would just one. do art and, like, turn it in? Yeah, it's kind of like... For the gold? Yeah. You know, like, that was what they were trying to do? Yeah. And, and that, yeah, I can understand why that was scrapped. I really can. Because that's kind of like... But what would be cool is if they said... Who could finish a portrait of this person in the Five fastest minutes. time? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It has to like look like <laughs> that'd be a whole different genre, you know? Because you've seen those people that can do the one thing, and they always seem always seems to be upside down for some yeah. reason, and then they turn it around. And it's like, oh, <gasps> yeah, that. right, okay. So, but it's like, like that, is your brain upside down? I can see that in the <laughs> in the Olympics. I think that would be really. <laughs> they have some really weird stuff in the Olympics. All right, here's one. Curling is my favorite. I know. What other sport involves a broom? I know. Other than Quidditch. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Fantastic. When's Quidditch going to be the, in the Olympics? That's what I want to know. Right? Sleeping should be in the Olympics. Ooh. Rachel should definitely Rachel would sign win. up for that. Long distance sleeping. <laughs> Long distance sleeping. <laughs> That's so great. Oh, I saw some kind of a... We should do an Olympic thing here at the I church. S- I actually saw a competition of who could fall asleep the fastest. I saw that. That would be so somewhere. stressful. I'd be laying there going, I am not exactly. going to win. You would think that it would be. Brian might win that. Uh, I fall asleep almost immediately. Yeah. Um, not me. But I can think of a few people in our Sunday morning services. <laughs> 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 we were secretly holding Olympic Games. And you ding, ding, ding. won. <laughs> All right, here we go. Bed bugs are nearly impossible to get rid of and can spread faster than water cooler gossip. Scientists believe that bugs have existed since the time of dinosaurs. Bed bugs have existed since the time of That's dinosaurs? That's what they're saying. Yeah. Okay. So to- what if we found one frozen in amber and then we can <laughs> make a dinosaur out of it? <laughs> The DNA. That would be funny. Jurassic Park 27. Jurassic Park. Rise <laughs> of the bed bugs. There is a one. Okay, this is, this is a personal one because I am left-handed. There is a one in 4.4 million chance of a left-handed person being killed using a right-handed, using right-handed equipment. <laughs> so are they more often killed with left-handed equipment? Apparently. <laughs> but you would think it would be more with the right-handed equipment because you don't use it as well. <laughs> so one point one yeah, and no, one no. point. Okay, okay, okay. So the, say so the the left-handed person is using right-handed equipment, and because of that, they die. Yes. Okay, I was a, thinking of a right-handed person using right-handed equipment killing a left-handed person. No. Okay. Let me say it again. Now I get it. There's a one in four point four million chance of a left-handed person being killed using right-handed equipment. Are you sure that your interpretation is the correct? <laughs> yeah, you just flipped it? it around in your head. That's what I, it said. Well, yeah, because I heard it again and I heard the same I thing. I heard it again. I Being killed again. using right-handed equipment. Using is the operative word. Well, yeah, but... you're. If, I'm left-handed. I'm using right-handed but, equipment. But if I shot you... That's not what this they, is saying. They would say, if I shot you with a gun, they would say, Michelle was killed... You you know uh, the method of her being killed was that a gun yes, had been used. Yes, but that's not what they're saying. You're stuck there, and that's not what this is saying. God. All right. Okay, okay one more. All right, go ahead. <clears throat> I'm ready. <clears throat> no, I'm not going to do that. Shellac is made from bug droppings. Wonderful. Shellac is sometimes called confectioner's glaze due to the fact that it gives a shiny coating to candles, but like you, jelly beans. Yeah, but you don't. You, or to candies, like jelly beans and candy gross. corn. And it's made by. But whatever you happen to call it, shellac, which is also used as a brush on colorant and a wood finish, comes from the excrement secretions produced by female Caria laca insects. Jelly beans and candy corn has bug droppings on it. <laughs> if y'all could see Pastor Josh's face right now. <laughs> I love jelly beans. <laughs> I think you should do get jelly beans and say, would you does like this have bug, bug excrement dro- on it? <laughs> How long would I have to wash these to get, to get all the of the shellac. bug excre- excrement off? Okay, I have to say one more. If you sneeze while driving at 60 miles an hour, your eyes are closed for 50 feet. Yeah, I seriously you know get that? freaked out by that. D- yeah. I seriously And do I sneeze like 8,000 yes, times, Josh. Yeah, I know. More <laughs> than me. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a two or a three sneezer. Yeah, I'm uh, about a five you or six. And my son Ian will sneeze eight or nine times in a <laughs> row. And I'm just like, he's going to die. It's, he's gonna, it's going to happen. Someday he's going to be driving the car and then, you know, yep. it's like, oh, no, I'm going to sneeze. Pull over. Yep. No, I've totally thought that where I'm like, eh. I know, so especially if there's you a like lot of traffic your whole or something. Face. And I'm like, oh, please, God. And, you, and then uh, I'm still alive. Praise God. <laughs> and it's impossible to sneeze with your eyes open. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I've tried it. 
It is not possible. That is not possible. Okay, back to our right. regularly scheduled yes. programming. Well, I don't. I'm. I'm not sure where else we need to go with this particular conversation, except for I want. You know, there is. What's our goal here? In First John, mm-hmm. there is a verse that says that that perfect love casts out fear, and it's referring specifically to um, the reason why we would follow Christ and the reason why we would emulate Jesus and become more like him to become a more loving person is as we experience God's love for us and we are, and the, the fear of judgment is removed. Mm-hmm. We are enabled to love. And I think fear, you know, sometimes we, I, we might say hate is the opposite of love. I think fear is the opposite of love. I think okay. fear That's is the primary thing that keeps us from loving and being loved. I think that we don't receive love a lot of times because we don't trust the people that would love us. So if Does God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are love. Yes. And the opposite of that is fear. Yeah. I mean, we always equate Satan. Sure. Although Satan's not the opposite of God at all. He's not the opposite of oh, God? Oh, absolutely not. Okay. Satan is a creation. God created he him. He is. God cannot have created his own opposite. Satan is is an enemy of God. But he does but the opposite not. of God. Yeah, okay, kind of, maybe, I don't know. Well, in my head, he takes whatever God has created and twists it. Sure. And I guess I view that as being the opposite. He takes pure love true love, intimacy, well, fear is absolutely family. one of his favorite things. It is. But what I would, what I, I don't, there is no fear in God. Mm-hmm. Period. God's not afraid of anything. Right. At any time. Right. And I think that that's what he's calling us into, is to live completely unafraid. Right. But we have to recognize, I guess my point in that is that we have to recognize if we are going to be in God and live in this love and operate in this love and not have fear, at least how I operate, is that I I have to recognize what that is, sometimes where it comes from, whether it's in my own head, whether it is, you know, an enemy who hates me. Uh, whatever, whatever the it, it is, it helps me to then segregate that. Does that make sense? Keep going. Keep going. So no, your answer is no. It doesn't Not make yet. sense. Um, <clears throat> I have to recognize where something is coming from that is harming me, harmful to me, not good for me. I have to recognize that that is, in my own head, the opposite or what is opposite of what who God is and who Jesus is. In other words, it's not God that's harmed me. It's not God that's, mm-hmm. that God's not connected to this threat. To this threat, to this fear, to this, this, yeah, to all, to these things. Yes. And so there has to be a recognition of that separation of that's not, because it's one thing to just say, God has not given me a spirit of fear. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well then where did that spirit of fear come from? Right. Does that, that's how my brain works. Sure. Um, Because then I can go, if that is not, where did it come from? Okay. It came from either my own head given these thoughts or an enemy who hates me and wants me to to believe that fear or have that fear around me so then I can put that in its proper spot and go okay that is that no I have to be here I have to have no I understand that okay if that makes sense and I think a lot of people process that way I understand that my thing would be if I'm feeling fear, I will know automatically this is not from God 
or from the Holy Spirit. But and a lot so, of people don't. Well, that's what I'm saying. And that, that's, what I, that's what I think we're being called into, is that if I am experiencing fear, God didn't give me this. And I shouldn't receive it as a blessing. I shouldn't receive it as wisdom. Is that always? What do you mean? I'm just asking you. Is that always? What was your, if you just said, what was your statement that you just said? I said, God did not give me this fear that I'm Is in. that always God does not give you that fear? Yes. Okay. That's what I'm asking. Yeah. Because sometimes people don't believe that. Well, and I, and I have definitely seen people that when they feel fear, they believe that that is the voice of the spirit. Mm-hmm. That that's the primary way they, they would tell you that they hear the voice of God. Well, I was afraid about that. So I knew it must not have been the Lord. Exactly. But that's the opposite of what, of how the Lord speaks to us. Right. We should more be saying, no, I have a peace with this. And therefore I know this is what God's calling me to do. Mm-hmm. But when we, when I can understand why people would equate fear with the voice of God, when it was fear that got them saved, quote unquote, mm-hmm. because the threat of hell swept mm-hmm. them into the kingdom, when it's fear that makes them obey because God at any point is going to just reject them because they have failed, mm-hmm. because the church is going to reject you if you fail, mm-hmm. or the you know, or your friends are going to reject you if you fail. <laughs> Obviously, God's in that same category. I can understand why people would. Think of God as the source of their fear, mm-hmm. but he's not. That's not how this works. It's not how it operates. And so believers should not be making decisions based on fear. Yep. We should be asking the question, sure, where is this fear coming from? That's a good question to ask. What right. am I afraid of? Right. And why am I afraid? Right. Where is this fear arising from? And I heard... Um, Jason Upton, you know, Jason yes. Upton, he's a worship leader and whatever. And he was, he wrote a song called something about birds, but, um, it was based on, I don't know if it was a poet or some theologian he was reading, but the idea was this, that it's the intelligent crow that knows that a farmer would only put a scarecrow in a field that it, the farmer doesn't want crows in. And so fear should be a signal to us that the enemy is trying to keep us away from something good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So instead of experiencing fear and running, fear should be a signal flag mm. that there is something God wants for me there that the enemy does not want for me there. Mm-hmm. And I should pursue that and find out what's going on what is it the enemy is trying to scare me away from and i also think people need to be willing and allow god to show them places that they are operating in fear that they do not recognize as fear that they that is being it is being wrapped up in safety it is being wrapped up, whether it be money, whether it be your kids, you know, I fully recognize and have to work through if my kids, some of my kids are not going in the way, <laughs> it's fearful. Of course it is. It's fearful. Yeah. If... Um, and before, and, and I had this better and easier than Brian did because of just how he was raised and how I was raised. Um, I'm, I'm not afraid to have nothing. I'm not. If I lose my house, it was God's house. If, if, I, if I lose all my cars, if I lose all my money, it was all his anyway. Brian didn't have that. I don't know where he's at with the kids, but... You want to get me? Get me and my kids. Mm-hmm. You know, the the fear of that and trusting him with that. We all have those things. We all have those areas. Why are you afraid to step away from that job? Why are you afraid to move to a different state? Why are you afraid to um, allow your kids to struggle? Um, and it's wrapped up often in 
well, that's not logical. That doesn't make sense. God would not say that. God would not ask that. God does not do that. And I would disagree because I could give you all kinds of places in the Bible that he has had people do all of those things to the point of laying his own son on the altar, you know, Abraham, and trusting God <clears throat> and being a disciple the fires of discipleship. I love that. I love that that visual of what that looks like. And yes, God loves us unconditionally. He loves us where we are. If we are going to follow and be a disciple, we have to not have any fear. And the fears that we have, we need to let go of. We're going to have to get face to face with the fears that we obey mm-hmm. when we're disobeying God. And recognizing that they are fears versus pretending or justifying that they are something else. So, in conclusion. In conclusion. Okay, this is what I would like to say. I just okay. said there's this phrase that's in my head and I want to get it out. Okay. Okay. And it's this, that true discipleship is allowing the fire of God's love for you burn the fear out of your heart. I love that. That's what it looks like to be a disciple of Christ. Mm -hmm. To let Jesus kick all the props out. Mm -hmm. Burn everything out. Burn it all down. Anything that's not built on the rock. You know, the same storm came to both the guy that built his house on the rock and the guy that built his house on the sand. Mm -hmm. Storms come, storms go. The question is, will you be standing when this is over? And Jesus' whole point was, if you're built on me, you will be. Yeah. And this is what it looks like to be a disciple of Christ. To remove all of the ways that we have put our hope and our trust in anything other than him. And then when the fire comes, we'll stay, sta- we'll, the, we'll be standing, you know, or the, the storm comes, I should say. Yep. But that that's what this looks like. Discipleship isn't about working harder and harder to please God, please a God that's mad at you. No, discipleship is about allowing the love of God, the fire of God's love to burn away all of the fear from, from our hearts. Amen. 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 Okay, well, I hope that was an interesting and helpful discussion for anybody that's been listening. Um, We love you. God bless you. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to randomtangentspodcast at gmail.com or you can comment on our website or on our Facebook page. You can look at us on Facebook, Random Tangents Podcast. I think it's facebook.com slash randomtangents. Yes. Um, Wait, wait. Yes, ma'am. What's what? Give us your $20 word real quick. We're smart. Pull one up. <laughs> you we need to have one. I, I we have to be consistent in our randomness. We didn't have a, a $20 <laughs> word. Well, we did, but not an intentional one. No, but we have to have one. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll pull one out here. Come on. I know you have them just sitting around. I always do. In fact, I, if I see one, I will write it down because I, I think they're, they're a lot of fun. But aren't they in your head? Uh, no, they don't. I mean, they come out of my mouth without me trying. Okay. Um, do, 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 trying to decide do, do, which one I want to use. I'm not sure how to pronounce this, but. Okay. Anagnorisis. You want to spell that? A-N-A-G-N-O-R-I-S-I-S. And I, I'll bet that the G is silent. It's probably... Anag... Because that G-N-O is probably from gnosis, which is a Greek word. So, anorisis is the moment in a story when the main character realizes something that leads to a resolution. I thought that was like the climax where all that becomes. Yeah, but there's a a word for that. Word. Okay. 
Say it again. Ananarissus. I'm guessing the G is silent. Okay. Ananarissus. Ananarissus. And where's the emphasis? Well, like you think of a catharsis, okay? Okay. They have an ananarissus, the the moment in the story when the main character realizes something that leads to a resolution. (laughs) Okay? For instance, if you've seen uh, The Usual Suspects. Okay. Very end of the movie. Very you seen the movie? Yes. Very end of the movie. All of a sudden, the guy's looking around and realizes that this whole story came from things that Kevin Spacey's character saw in his office. That was the ananarissus, right? All of a sudden, <gasps> and it's movies like that that have the twists at the end Yeah, that they save that moment until the very end, right? right? Like when... Bruce they don't Willis usually do that. They usually the, do it in like... In the sixth sense, yeah. when Bruce Willis d- discovers, oh my gosh, right? Right. Those are the best because we usually have a rhythm and I always do this because we'll watch, we'll watch TV shows and obviously Netflix and those kinds of things can, you know, you can watch several. So you get the rhythm of the show. Right. Of course. And I will be wondering kind of what's going on and I will pause it. It irritates the crap out of Brian, but I pause it for just for a second. I'm like, oh, we still got 17 minutes yet. Yeah. We're not there yet. (laughs) You know, (laughs) Because I know the rhythm of the stories and I I know when it's going to happen. But when they do that. I love it when they do that. Yes. At the very, 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 very end. I I love that. And I love movies that make us fall in love with characters and then immediately kill them. We were watching a a show, which is fantastic. It's called, I'm not going to tell you because, but it's great. I'll I'll tell you later what What? it's called. Okay. Okay. So, but there's a character that you are slowly falling in love with. Not the main character, but this is a character you're slowly falling in love with, and and like right at the peak of, like, oh, this is just such a great guy, and and then all of a sudden, he's dead, not. like instant, instant, oh. dead, just <gasps> killed in the middle, of it. and you're like, oh, but his character arc, his character arc didn't get completed. Yeah, he didn't what arc. Gonna do? He didn't have no. He didn't finish the character arc. <laughs> and he's dead. He just died instantly. Boom, dead, right. gone. And you're like, oh, it happened so fast. It was just like out of complete left field. Just like what, what. What just happened and when when the episode was over? Rachel and I just sat there like, what? What just happened? What am I? What? Yeah. <laughs> but see, if that had happened in the soap operas, <laughs> you wouldn't have fretted because you knew that they would his have twin brother exactly has received. Actually, his soul. he really didn't die. He went to this place. <laughs> this guy really died. His brains were everywhere. Anyway, okay. So, <laughs> thanks for listening, guys. Talk All to right. you later. Bye. Bye.